Amen. My dad had a saying that I really like. Um, I'll give it to you and then I'll put it into context. My dad had a saying, and the saying was, flowers are for the living. Now, his point was this, not that we should never honor those who've gone before us, but he was commenting on uh, all of the flowers that he saw at a funeral. And there were just tons and tons and tons and tons of flowers there. And my dad's concept was this, honor a person, thank a person, while they're still here to hear it, while they're still around to enjoy it. And so one of the things we love to do is honor and give thanks to people in a way that uh, recognizes their contribution. And you may not be aware, uh, and uh, we're doing this secretively today in front of all of you, but uh, Wendy is out on vacation this year is Wendy's 15th year with us. I don't know if you've thought that through, but that's a long time. How many of you have been born since Wendy started working here? Okay, so some of you are 15 and less. Put your hands up. All right. How many of you um, grew up under her ministry? Several of you. Yeah. So this is an opportunity we have to minister to her. So Christetta's going to come up, and she's going to tell you the plan. So Christetta, come and share the plan with us. So I've been accused of stirring up trouble before, so now y'all are going to help me stir up a lot of trouble. Um, We are going to celebrate Wendy's 15th year at Kingsville on October 19th after our evening classes, so at 6.30. Like Pastor Bart said, it is a secret. Uh, Her husband and her mother and father know um, to make sure that they're going to be here, but so far she doesn't know. Help us keep it that way. Uh, What we're going to do, what we're asking for you is some stories. I know a lot of you have some windy stories, moments when she has been there for you in your life, Um, some fun stories. Um, Mine go back almost 20 years. Brother Freddie called me one time. Brother Freddie Arnold, if you remember him, and said, there's this little college girl. I want you to go to Tioga High. They're having a little fall festival. They're bringing all the churches together. Go help this college girl. We had a popcorn machine and a poster board that said Kingsville Baptist Church. And if you know Wendy, that was not how Wendy does things. Wendy didn't know what to expect. She didn't like it. We didn't have balloons. We didn't have streamers. We needed a bigger banner. She spent the entire evening planning how we would do this better next time. She wasn't even on staff at the time. This was a good three or four years before she was hired to work at Kingsville Baptist Church. But she loved the kids then. She loves them now. She loves them as they grow and sit on these front pews. I love Wendy. (laughs) um, So we just want to honor Wendy um, because she goes above and beyond for every one of us. And so we want to do that for her. So if you have a Wendy story, if you will write it out uh, get it to the church office, um, sneak it to Miss Candy. Miss Candy's going to start working on a file um, for these stories. If you are willing to be in a video that we were going to work on, if you, you want them to tear it, put it on the tear off on your bulletin, tear it off, write it down that you're willing to, to share a Wendy story and give it to Uncle Melvin in the back before you leave church today. Um, and if you know anyone that lives out of town, 
that grew up in this church that loves Wendy like we love Wendy, if you will help me contact them and ask for their Wendy stories, we're going to put these together in, in a binder and then make the video to share um, with Wendy on October 19th after church. And like we said, it's a secret. Pictures. Pictures. Pictures, yes. If you have pictures, uh, especially uh, older, older pictures um, from... Um, I, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I've got a picture of a four-year-old Kaylin Miller and Nathan Morrow sitting with Wendy at the skating rink. So that kind of pictures, that's what we're looking for. If you've got some pictures like that of, of those special moments in Wendy's life. Got it. This is going to be a great opportunity for us to gather. We're going to try to pull this off in Big House, and uh, since it's kind of pretty far away from the preschool building on that evening, trying to get it all set up and get everybody together. And we'll have to come up with some kind of ploy, some kind of story to get Wendy to come over to the uh, big house uh, at the end of our classes on that evening. So uh, please keep it a secret. We're going to be doing a little mail out to you. Um, and after you receive that, don't leave it laying around. If Wendy hangs out at your house or whatever, you know, shred it or whatever you need to do, don't hang it on your refrigerator for her to come by and get a, a, a Diet Coke out of your refrigerator and go, what's this? Uh, so just put it on your calendar, and this is going to be a great time, and let's bless her. I think uh, recognizing her with stories, with pictures, and also gifts. If you'd like to bring a gift card to give her, that's what we're going to kind of focus on is some kind of gift card to bless her. We'll have a little place for you to deposit that along with a very nice personal card you might want to write to her. Fifteen years of very excellent ministry. Um, there's a story told. It's, of course, a fable. It's not true, but it's uh, kind of one of those stories that has a point to it. It never happened, but it's interesting. It's a story about a guy who dies. He's a believer, and uh, after his death, he uh, gets to heaven, and uh, he's, you know, remembering all those stories that he was told when he was going to church, and all those songs that he sang, and he really did confess and trust Christ and he arrives there, and they're walking him through the neighborhoods, and they walk him, and they finally get to this one place in this neighborhood, and there's a very, very small kind of a shack sitting there. And the guy says, wow, what is this? And the one giving him the tour said, well, that's your house. He said, my house? What's, what about the mansions and all that? What, what's up with this? And the guy said to him, he said, well, this is all the lumber you sent. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, says this about our treasures. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's why Jesus told us to lay up treasures in heaven. I believe that there is a reason for that far beyond our imagination and expectation that these treasures that we store up, lay up, send up to heaven are things that will have eternal value and will be meaningful to us forever in comparison with the things of earth that become meaningless so quickly. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to us about our treasures and 
our trust. And he says something very important. So join me in Matthew 6, 25. We're going to focus there and then move through his teaching because this is a turning point in his lesson. The whole lesson goes from verse 19 to verse 34. It's one real kind of expanded statement about one thing. And so the turning point in the discussion in the lesson is in verse 25. So let's go there for a moment. In verse 25, he says, For this reason I say to you. For what reason? In other words, he's saying that I'm going to talk about an explanation of one thing I just told you. And because I told you this one thing, I'm going to tell you everything else. I'm going to explain the rest of it. So, what is the thing that he said? Well, it's the last phrase in verse 24. He says, you cannot serve God and stuff. Now, the word mammon was the Aramaic word for stuff. It was material things. It was things that rust and decay that you buy, that you, that you consume. It was for the things of this earth. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and stuff. He didn't say you may not serve God and stuff. You might not, you could not, or you would not. He says you cannot. In other words, for all of us, there is an allegiance either to stuff or to God. Our allegiance is either to created things or to the Creator. Our love is either on created things or the Creator. Our sense of significance, our sense of security, our sense of worth is tied either to created things or to the Creator. And Jesus said it cannot be a combination of the two. It's impossible. And so having said that, and having said something so serious, he's now going to lay out and talk about the word anxiety. How many of you can join me in saying, I, have, I suffer from anxiety? Does anybody here suffer from any anxiety? Okay, I suffer. I actually have an anxiety disorder. I mean, I know you know that I've got a disorder, but this is one of them. And I have an anxiety disorder. And, and I, I have horrible, powerful fits of anxiety. They're, 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 some people call them panic attacks. And they're not any fun. Sometimes I have them when I'm preaching. And that is always a ride to go on. It is a scary thing. Anxiety is common to all of humanity. It's a part of our existence. It's because we live in a world that has been given what the Bible calls a futility curse. Do you know what that is? It happened in the Garden of Eden. The moment that sin entered into the world, the universe began to decay. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that the creation has been subjected to futility. And that futility touches us all over the place. It touches us in the stuff that we own. 
I have not been an iPhone owner yet. I'm about to become one. But it's interesting the lines that people form to go to get an iPhone or any other big device that comes out. And then in just another year, the same people are in line again. And then the next year, they're in line again. And then the next year, they're in line again because we keep thinking that something is going to satisfy us, but everything becomes obsolete. I remember buying my first computer and paying about $2,000 for it. That was when I was in seminary, and $2,000 was a whole lot of money. And I remember buying that, and it is good for absolutely nothing now. It is, it is just, it, it's gone somewhere to some recycle bin somewhere. It's done. Everything here is obsolete. Even our bodies grow obsolete. The truth is, you might get 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100, but the truth is, from conception, you are moving in a direction that's futile. You can't stop the reality of death. And so our anxiety is tied to the fact that we live in a world that is under the futility curse and nothing in this creation can fully, completely satisfy us. So we're left with anxiety and we're left with a choice. Will I place my confidence, my faith, my trust, will I lean on God through Christ or will it be on the stuff of this world? Jesus warns us and says it can't be both. So right now, every one of us are sitting here and we are either trusting in and serving God or we are trusting in and serving our stuff. Jesus said it can't be both. And it's a reality. And so, because that's true, Jesus steps in and says, I want to cure that. I want to cure it because what's happening is the anxiety of the futility of this stuff is messing up your life and controlling you and causing you harm. And eventually it will lead to a kind of eternal harm because you will not connect to God through faith in Jesus because your anxiety about the things of this earth will overcome you. And so he says, you cannot serve God and mammon, therefore I say to you. And so Jesus is going to tell us now what the enemy of anxiety is. What is the enemy of anxiety? What is the thing that can conquer, that can defeat, that can break anxiety? What is it? Well, it's not immediately obvious because Jesus works us up to it. He walks us through some things to get to it, but here is the enemy. I want to go ahead and pull it out. It's in verse 30. Matthew 6, 30. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more do so for you? And then He drops the bomb. O men of little faith. So you can fill in that first blank. Faith is the enemy of anxiety. That's what Jesus is after here. He's after one thing. He wants to grow in you such a faith that it latches itself to God 
through him and finds in God's eternal nature and being and provision and promises everything that we need so that we quit worrying. So the enemy of anxiety is faith. So that the stronger that faith grows, the weaker anxiety becomes in comparison. And so Jesus is going to do four things for us to help us grow our faith. The first thing he's going to do to help us grow our faith, number one, in order to build our faith, we must, number one, learn to whom we should listen. Jesus says, for this reason, I say to you, In other words, Jesus says, you can't serve God in stuff. This anxiety is causing you to latch on to this stuff because of your lack of faith. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you first-hand information. He says, I say to you. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who speaks to you more than anybody else? Honestly, who speaks to you more than anybody else? Somebody said it. Yourself. You talk to yourself more than anybody. You live inside that head of yours, and you're having ongoing conversations all the time. Sometimes it's a little wacky. But you talk to yourself more than anybody does. Because you're thinking thoughts that are speaking to you. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to step in and say, you're going to have to determine with your life to whom you will listen. Are you going to listen to the voices around you? Are you going to listen to the voices of the world? Are you going to listen to the voice of the enemy, the devil? Are you going to listen to the voice of your flesh that's always speaking to you and always battling with you and always trying to war against the Spirit of God? Who who are you going to listen to? What Jesus is saying is He wants to step in and He wants you to speak His words inside your mind to such a degree that you begin to run those words through your mind and trust Him. And so he begins to speak to you, and you choose whether or not you will embrace his words and begin to preach them to yourself. That's what your memory is for. It is for compiling what is important and telling it to yourself. Jesus wants you to take his words. He wants you to memorize them. In fact, his closing illustration in The Sermon on the Mount is he who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who built his house upon the rock. And the storms came and the winds blew and the house didn't fall. But he who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like a man who built his house on the sand. And the storms came and the wind blew and the sea rose and the house fell and great was its fall. What Jesus is saying is I want to kill your anxiety. By giving you someone to trust in, that is himself, so that you take his words into your heart, into your mind, and you begin to preach the good news of Jesus' words to yourself. I have a dear friend. His name is Chuck Wood. He is the man who discipled. He and his wife, Debbie, discipled Sherry and I when we were first married. Chuck is the one famous for sitting down with me six months into my marriage and looking at me and saying, Bart, 
you're not going to be married long. I said, what? He said, you're a horrible husband. And he began from that moment on, even to this day, influencing my life. But Chuck, I sat down with him recently. Some of our folks from the church got to meet him, and Chuck sat down, and and here's what he said. And, And this is so awesome. Chuck said, for the last 31 years, I've read two chapters of the Gospels every single day without fail for 31 years, along with another chapter from the New Testament, another chapter from the Old Testament. And when Chuck speaks, do you know who I hear? I hear Jesus. Because the words of Christ have been taken in for 31 years over and over and over and trusted in. And so I hear Jesus when Chuck speaks to me. He speaks Jesus lingo. He speaks Jesus trust, Jesus glory. He speaks that. And so Jesus teaches us to whom we should listen. As we listen to him and internalize and speak his words to ourselves inside us, we begin to overcome anxiety. So he says, for this reason I say to you, well, why is it hard to listen to Jesus? Here's why. Because He always confronts us. That's the number one reason we shut Him down. Because when Jesus talks to us, He always confronts us. He loves us so much, He will never leave us like we are. And so when He brings His words to our heart, when He brings His sayings to our heart, He always confronts us. He's the one who looks us in the eye and says, Hey, Bart, you can't serve God in stuff. Hey, Bart, you have to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Hey, Bart, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and come after me. And so the the primary reason that we stay anxious and we do not continually nourish our hearts with the words of Jesus is the first thing He always does is He confronts us. He tells us the truth. That's why we distance ourselves from some human beings. We get a friend that really loves us and tells us the truth, but we don't want to change. We start pulling away. We start isolating. We start getting away. We start finding something else to do. And so what's happening is Jesus wants to cure your anxiety. And He says, here's how it starts. And He says, I say to you. And so He doesn't just confront us. He concludes things in our presence. He says, here's the conclusion. As long as you're running after stuff, you're going to be anxious. As long as you have little faith, you're going to be anxious. As long as you keep living in the same pattern of this anxiety, you're going to stay anxious. And he reaches some conclusions to tell us that his confrontation always wants to change us. Jesus is never calling us out just to embarrass us or to just put us on the spot. He's always calling us out because he wants us to hear his conclusions about our lives so that he can do the third thing he always does when he talks to us. He comforts us. 
When you look through this passage of Scripture, you hear about anxiety, about anxiety over what we eat and what we drink and what we wear. We hear anxiety about all of these things, adding days to our lives and all of this. But listen to how He comforts us. He says in verse 26, Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than them? But if God, verse 30, erased the grass of the field and the life today thrown in the surface, will He not do for you? So He calls God our Father. He tells us that God knows that we, need, that we need these things. He's comforting us, coming behind the confrontation, coming behind the conclusion, and He's saying, you know what? You are loved more than you could ever imagine. You are loved in a limitless way. You're loved in a profound way. You're loved by a God who created everything yet wants to be your dad. You are loved. And so Jesus steps in with his words, confronting us, reaching conclusions, and then comforting us. And so he says, if you want to deal with your anxiety, the first thing you've got to do is listen to Jesus. That needs to be a regular practice every day of our lives. Listen to Jesus so much that we start to speak Jesus back to ourselves. That when those thoughts and worries and anxieties come up, what we say back to ourselves is the Scripture. It is the Word of Jesus. It is the, the truth of His Word. And we combat it. And so the first step in this cure is to listen to what Jesus has to say. Internalize it. Speak it back. But He tells us a second thing to do. Number two, we must learn how to look at things. God is always speaking. He's speaking in things and through things. We tend to look at things through the lens of anxiety rather than through the lens of trust. And so the lens of anxiety, because we're not listening to Jesus, causes us not to be able to see all the things God is teaching us around. And so Jesus says, hey, I want to I change your view for a minute. Look, and, he, and there's probably a field by them, and he says, look at the lilies. Just look out there at them. Just take a look. He says, Do you see something? Look at the birds. Take a look. Do you see something? And, and, and those hard-headed disciples are probably going, um, I see flowers. <laughs> I see birds. Uh, what, what's the story? And Jesus goes under it and says, Look at those birds. Verse 26. They don't sow and they don't reap. And they don't have barns to store things, and they don't gather stuff up. He said, here is an animal that is flying around to the glory of God, and he's living in complete dependence on what's available that day. And he said, don't you see the lesson there? You're more important than birds. Jesus didn't die for birds. And so he says, look at them. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't they worth more than you? And so he says, you should learn who to listen to. As you listen to the words of Jesus, he begins changing the way you view things. And now you're looking for lessons of trust around, and you see birds, and there's birds, and what are they doing? They're living dependent lives. They get up in the morning, and whatever's available for them, if it's a juicy grasshopper, if it's a seed, whatever it is, there he goes out of his nest, and he goes out. Does this mean we shouldn't work? No, that's not Jesus 
Jesus' lesson at all. Those birds are out working. They get up early and they work the fields and they go everywhere they need to go. But God's providing for them. And he says, look at them. And so when we take that first step in relieving our anxiety of listening to Jesus, then Jesus will, will change our perspective and we'll begin looking at things differently. And rather than seeing what's wrong with everything, we'll begin to see lessons in life. God always wants to comfort His children. And so He surrounds us with lessons of comfort. Flowers, lilies of the field. He said, look at them. He said, in all of His glory, Solomon never dressed as well as a lily. Never was as beautiful. And he had everything and yet God lets that lily have its glory. Do you know what the lily's doing? If the birds are depending, the lilies are abiding. All they got to do is just reach their roots down and take in what God's given them. Open their petals up and take in what God's given them. The bird's job was depend. The lily's job was abide. And so the way that our anxiety begins to diminish is that we hear the words of Jesus, we internalize them, we speak them to ourselves, and we begin to look at things differently. But Jesus goes further and says, we need to learn not just to whom to listen, not just how to look at things, we need to learn what to long for. Listen to Jesus' words. Verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? All these things the Gentiles, and you could change the translation a little bit and say, long for. This is what they long for. They just long for the stuff of this earth. That's what they long for. That's what they're after. It's what they're pursuing. It is the goal of their life to eat and drink and be clothed. And that's it. And he's saying, you're going to have to learn what to long for. You actually can change from how you look at things in order to change how you long for things. Advertisers know this. They know that if they parade certain things in front of your eyes, they can tweak an internal longing so that you'll long for their product. They know that if they continually put those images in front of you, that something that already exists inside of you, they capitalize on and try to get you to long for their products. And so magazines, and you flip through the pages of the things that they send you in the mail, and the ads, and the internet, and all of the parade of goods that come before our eyes. Amazon pops up at the bottom of the screen. Things you might be interested in. Well, how did you know? And you find yourself scrolling down, looking at those things, saying, yeah, I'm kind of interested in those. Jesus knows something. He knows that if you can begin to train your heart to long for the kingdom, to long for the king, and to long for the righteousness that lets you enter the kingdom and know the king, then that's where you'll place your focus. He says that the Gentiles are eagerly longing for, eagerly seeking this stuff of this world. But what should you do? Well, he commands it. Long for his kingdom, 
His righteousness. So we listen to His words. We look at things differently. We fix our eyes differently. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, For we look not at the things which are seen, but the unseen things. Because the things which are seen are temporal, but the unseen things are eternal. The writer of the Hebrews says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And after He came resurrected, He sat down at the right hand of God. In other words... As we change who we listen to and we begin internalizing the words and the person of Christ and preaching Him to ourselves, as we begin to look at things differently and start looking at the lessons God gives us and turning our eyes to heavenly things and setting our treasures there, He begins to settle our heart. He begins to curb our anxiety. He begins to grow our faith in such a way how many of you have been to Disney World? See hands. Up high. Huh? Up high. So look around. A lot of Disney World people. Okay. Did you get excited before you went? Come on. One of these or one of these? you get excited before you went? Yeah. When we went, they sent us a book this thick about all the stuff you can do. And what did we do for several months before we went? What did we do? We flipped through it. And do you know who we talked about? We talked about the stupid mouse. Now, I love Mickey. I'm sorry about the stupid thing. But the truth is, in heaven, is, it's going to seem pretty stupid. And we get to where we start flipping through the pages of that book and talking about the rides and the food and the fireworks and the castle and the characters, and we, and we start longing for it. Why? Because some, if nobody had ever told you about Disney World and somebody says, you excited to go to Disney World? You'd say, huh? The way that you began to long for it is somehow you were exposed to the glories of it. Somehow somebody told you about it. Well, here's the deal. Part of what's going on with our lack of longing for the king and the kingdom is we're not going through his book looking at how wonderful it's going to be. We're just not. And the reason we don't long for it is we have failed to communicate that it's going to be so stinking much better than Disney that Disney's going to be like a trip to the dump. But we don't talk about it. We don't have conversations of longing. <laughs> when my brother was talking to me about going to Disney World, my brother and my sister and their families sent us and paid the whole deal. It was and I loved every minute of it. I don't want to diminish it. I cried. It was so great. I was sitting in the castle, Cinderella's castle there, and the fireworks were going on outside. It was 9 p.m., our dinner appointment. I'm eating this good food. Fireworks are going off outside that big back window in the castle. And as a kid, I used to have to go to church right at the time that the wonderful world of Disney was coming on on Sunday night. And I said, one day I want to go to that place. And I did. And I'm sitting there weeping, going, but this is awesome. Heaven's going to be so much better than this. And I was just glad. And in that moment, my brother would say, hey, you ready to go see the mouse? That was the code word for going to this. I said, man, I'm, I'm ready. Did you look through the book yet? Oh, man, I've been flipping through these pages. Look, here, we're going to go here. We're going to eat here. We're going to see this. We're going to do that. we got a whole week here. I mean, we're going to... And it was so exciting. When is that conversation happening about heaven? 
And when are people saying, are you going to see the king? Are you going to see the king? Jesus says you've got to learn to long for what's good. This is a training. Do you know when we were going, one of the most important things is we had the passes. You're not getting in without the pass. My brother had gone online and purchased it all and sent it to us. We got all these passes so that we get to the gate. We've got our entry taken care of and all that. Listen carefully. When Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he was talking about the place, but he was also talking about the pass. He had said to begin to begin the Sermon on the Mount, he had said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says his kingdom and his righteousness, he's talking about the place, but he's talking about the past. That there's a righteousness that comes from God through faith alone. And you better make sure that you have your past to get to see this king in this eternally magic kingdom. Because there's going to be some folks that arrive there and Jesus will say it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He will say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. And so Jesus wants to cure your anxiety. He does. And he's doing it by saying, listen to me. Look at the things I point you to. Fix your eyes on the things of heaven and eternal and long for that which is good. And the final thing he says, it's really simple. Fourth thing, learn to limit our focus. He says it, he just tags it in verse 34. How does he say it? Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, we've got to rein in our worries and focus on where we are right now. You've got enough trouble dealing with where you are with God right now that you don't need to be worrying about whatever trouble's coming tomorrow. What Jesus was doing is saying, don't borrow tomorrow's troubles and complicate today. Don't reach out into tomorrow to pull into today something you don't need to deal with yet because you got enough stuff to deal with right now. And the thing that you need to deal with right now is this anxiety. Would you bow with me? Jesus wants you to limit your focus to this moment. I know tomorrow's coming and there's things ahead, but, but there's enough trouble right now in your life that you need to bring your anxieties to Jesus and hand them to Him and do these four things very quickly. Lord Jesus, right now, I want to listen to You. That's what I want to do. I want to listen to You. I, would you pray this to Him now? I open my heart to hear Your words. Right now, I, I open my heart to hear Your words. I want to deal with right now. Now, look at the things he said. 